Hello and welcome to the already 20th episode of the Data Democratization Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Ebert, Mostly AI's Chief Trust Officer. And today I have another wonderful guest on the show, Dr. Clara Neppel. She's the Senior Director at IEEE, the world's largest professional tech organization that's dedicated to advancing technology with, for example, publications, conferences, and very importantly, technological standards. Their most famous one is arguably the Wi-Fi standard. So even if you haven't heard of IEEE so far, you definitely know that one and use it probably every day. But enough from the internet and back to Clara. I know Clara is someone who is deeply passionate about human-centric innovation and ensuring that modern technology positively impacts us as a society. Before joining IEEE, Clara spent many years with the European Patent Office, where she was involved in various aspects relating to innovation, intellectual property, and public policy. She not only holds a master's in intellectual property law, but also a PhD degree in computer science, where she focused on artificial intelligence and big data. And in today's episode, we will cover so many interesting developments at the intersection of technology and humanity that I really had a hard time summarizing it. But first and foremost, we spoke about the IEEE 7000 standard on ethically aligned design, which was just officially launched two days ago here in Vienna. What is the IEEE 7000, you might ask? It's the world's first normative standard for value-based engineering. To put it very simple, it's a standard on how to build AI and also other technological systems that are ethical. For example, by defining processes on how engineers can translate stakeholder values and other ethical considerations into system requirements and design practices. But besides talking about IEEE 7000, we'll also cover the implications of the metaverse, why designing technology that's age-appropriate for our children is so important, and which role synthetic data has in the digital society. We'll also talk about standardization of synthetic data and why that might be useful. And besides that, we'll speak about digital humanism and even the Vatican and what it's up to when it comes to artificial intelligence. I hope you will find this conversation as delightful and also as insightful as I did. So let's dive in. Welcome, Clara. It's so nice to have you on the show, and I was really looking forward to having this conversation today with you. Uh, before we get started, can you introduce yourself and maybe also the IEEE to our listeners? Hello, Alexandra. It, the pleasure is on my side. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So my name is Clara Neppel. Uh, I'm the Senior Director of IEEE. IEEE is the world's largest technical association. We have more than 400,000 members worldwide, basically in every country of the world. And we also have a rich history, basically founded by Tesla and Edison more than 100 years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, that's where, the, where some of the E's come from, Institute of Electrical, Electrotechnics and Electronics Engineers. Well, since then, as you can imagine, this evolved and we have now new technical areas which uh, range from medical technology to AI, blockchain and quantum. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And uh, how did you end up where you are now and also what motivated you throughout your journey? Well, um, I, well, I'm a computer scientist. I had my PhD already in big data, if you want so, uh, and also on AI. Uh, I was already interested, well, at that time, <laughs> some years ago, well, what kind of knowledge can we actually get from artificial intelligence? So uh, is there anything that we can, you know, the insights, uh, are there something that we can provably deduct uh, from, from these insights that we have in artificial intelligence. And I think this is still the challenge. We, of course, have artificial intelligence, which we predict with uh, a lot of precision, but still the question is, what is the knowledge that we get from, uh, from this system? So I still see this as AI as having hypotheses uh, that can be used, uh, that we humans can 
then follow up, uh, just as you know, in the famous Go game, uh, where we have now a new school of Go after, after <laughs> this famous game. And I think it's the same also when we are looking for drug discovery and AI is, is giving us all these wonderful possibilities uh, where humans didn't look uh, until now, but which can open up, of course, a, a lot of new opportunities. Well, I, I followed up uh, with this on innovation. I'm, I was um, working a long time at the European Patent Office, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I was always interested on um, what, what technology is, how technology is impacting society, so patents and open source and standards and climate change and so on. And with IEEE, um, I, I think this brought me to another dimension of how I can engage with society on technology topics uh, with our ethical alliance design initiative Mm -hmm. Uh, basically that was uh, the starting point uh, one conference i think five or six years ago that i attended with ieee on this topic where i said well this is this is something i would like to do as well and it was then a wonderful opportunity that uh, ieee opened its european office in vienna yeah. Uh, and so uh, that was also the starting point of uh, of me well, leading this office and and being the bridge, if you want, so between the technical community and different stakeholder groups, including industry and uh, and government. Sounds like an amazing journey, and I'm always inspired by all these great panels that you're invited to. Just recently, you spoke at the Vatican about artificial intelligence and how different religious beliefs and their common values could find its way into AI systems. So really amazing topics that you're engaging with. And of course, due to the closeness to to the industry of IEEE, through your job, you also see a lot of AI in the wild. So can you share with our listeners, what do you think are the biggest challenges uh, that you notice when companies are using or planning to use AI? Well, um, of course, we have all these wonderful opportunities, and I think we we should absolutely use this opportunity to, um, yeah, speaking of the Vatican, to also see how we can bring humanity, if you want so, to the next level. Uh, also, the tagline of IEEE is uh, advancing technology for the benefit of humanity. And I think that is the, the challenge since, well, we all know uh, we are both technologists, that technology is not neutral. So the technology is reflecting the business values, uh, business models and the values of those who develop them, the developers themselves, or of course the organizations that they are in. So uh, when we are optimizing this technology, when we are uh, developing it, I think the big challenge is really to take into account uh, the impact it has. And uh, I think that technologists, including myself, we were not trained to do this. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think that we need to have new instruments, new ways of how to assess these impacts and also how to take then these impacts into account from the design phase to, uh, to the deployment phase. Yeah, this absolutely makes sense. And also that uh, these aspects are covered already during university education and uh, are not left as a kind of side subject that you may uh, take or take not because it's just too important with the impact that the systems are having. But before we come to this in more detail, and of course, I'm also curious to talk with you about the work on ethically aligned design. But first, I want to touch upon regulations because there's so much happening at the moment. What's your take on all these emerging AI regulations? Are they going in the right direction? Is there something missing? What's your perspective? Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, the EU did a wonderful job. I think it is really uh, important that we we have this uh, proposal on the table because we already have then the possibilities to discuss about it, which uh, maybe probably uh, would have taken some time if we wouldn't have this on the table. Yeah. Um, I, I find, uh, well, two things really remarkable as, as regards this proposal now specifically. This is the redefinition of risk because uh, the, uh, the EU has taken a risk-based approach uh, basically building on uh, on uh, existing regulation as regards product safety. And uh, I find it interesting and, and very uh, forward-looking that um, they redefined risk uh, from uh, taking into account only um, only uh, safety, if you want, so only safety and security, to include also new uh, 
risk factors, including fundamental rights, and even going so far uh, to say that some of these um, um, applications which are so important to us will not be possible in the European Union. And I think that is important for creating this trust in a technology uh, mm -hmm. that we all need in order to deploy it. Uh, now, if uh, I think that there are also new things which might be um, also been taken into account. So I was recently discussing about AI and climate change. And if we are talking uh, on climate change, of course, uh, we have there some impacts which go beyond the impact on the individual, which transcend the individual impact. So this is also true for social matters. Uh, mm -hmm. If we have um, an AI that is profiling, uh, that is manipulating, then this has, of course, an impact on the individual, but it also impacts us uh, as a society. And I think that this is maybe something which also needs to take into to be taken into account. So means of redress uh, when you are not uh, impacted immediately as an individual, mm -hmm. but we are uh, impacted as a society. And there are different analog instruments such as the European Environmental Agency, where you have different possibilities to 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 look into, for instance, on what uh, transparency matters and so on. Even if you're not impacted directly and I think that this is something which we have to look into, uh, into both as regards social as well as environmental impact. Yeah absolutely makes sense. If you're talking about the impact on a larger societal level are there some aspects that concern you the most or you think that we really should focus on as a society to address them and also uh, ensure that AI is moving in the right direction not only uh, with the impact it's having on individuals but also how it influences how we behave as a society? Well uh, definitely uh, of course this um, well, the, the profiling mechanisms and also, um, you know, with the metaverse is being created right <laughs> now. Uh, I think this has a, a, a really a, a very important uh, things that we have to look it, into. And uh, well, starting with the children. I mean, children are uh, one third of the internet users, and yeah. uh, I think that uh, you know the way they are building up their. Uh, worldview uh, is happening through different lenses and some of these lenses are social cultural others are environmental and with this new environment which uh, they are currently in and they are even they are going to be confronted uh, with this new metaverses i think that there is a special um, need to care uh, and and i think that this already started with some initiatives, for instance, in the UK, where we have uh, the, um, even a bill on age-appropriate design, mm -hmm. uh, where society has to say, where are the red lines? What is it what we want to have? What is it, what kind of safety measures do we have to uh, set up for the digital age, which uh, might be the same or even might be beyond those uh, in the physical um, world? And uh, well, one thing is really to set up the requirements and the other thing is really how to um, achieve those uh, requirements. And I think uh, that's where we have to work together. Absolutely, because this would actually be my, my next question, since many of the regulations uh, tell you this is what we don't want to happen, which of course poses challenges in what exactly should you then build. So in your opinion, these different regulations that we are currently uh, see being drafted, like the European AI Act, do you think they will be sufficient to ensure that AI is developed and also deployed responsibly, or what else is needed to really achieve this goal? Yes, so I think that regulation uh, very correctly needs to set the aim of what we want to achieve and what we don't want to do. It has to be technology agnostic, so it cannot regulate uh, AI technology. It, it has to uh, look into the different application fields and, and set um, you know, the desired outcomes. Now, uh, when it comes to how to achieve this, uh, I think it, it also very rightly looked into, um, you know, defining those standards together with the stakeholders, which includes the technical community, but also those that are directly or indirectly affected by the systems. And uh, I think that here standards and certifications are very important. 
because we need to have a consensus of, you know, first of all, what does it mean, uh, you know, when we are talking about principles, what does it mean for a certain context uh, to be transparent? Uh, does it mean, for instance, that, uh, you know, I would like to have an explanation of why the AI system, like a care robot, uh, made a specific suggestion of taking, for instance, a medicine for an elderly care, or does it mean really to have the source code, um, which might be important for for a technologist to repair it or something like that? So I think it is important first to understand, so have a, a common understanding on the terminology, and then also how to achieve once we we know what we want to do to to have. Uh, there are certain things on how to translate it into technical requirements. And uh, this is uh, then the standards uh, that can do this. Uh, so in IEEE, we are developing both sides, if you want so, mm -hmm. uh, both a certification, uh, which looks into what do we want to, uh, how do we, do we want this product or service to look like, and then the standards, which would be an, an aid for the developers on how to achieve this goal. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. And I also really like the analogy that you shared in one of our earlier conversations that the standard is more or less the recipe, uh, the cake recipe for developers <laughs> and project managers on how to actually build something. And then the certifications, of course, require a criteria catalog based on which you can assess whether uh, the goal was achieved and, yeah. and the system is behaving. In exactly, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, and actually I'm very excited because only next week we are going to, to have uh, the celebration uh, of uh, the successful um, the finalization of a certification project with the city of Vienna. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yes, this is going to be at the city hall and uh, I, I think it was a very interesting project and a very important one. Uh, because uh, I think that for uh, public services, it is especially important to have um, also for the procurement services, but also for uh, services that are developing themselves, uh, to have, um, you know, these marks uh, which also signal to the outside world uh, that an independent assessment has taken place and that uh, this can, can serve as a as a mark just as for, uh, you know, in food labeling to the consumers and citizens that what they are consuming, uh, the services, is uh, aligned with, uh, with their values and it's ethically certified. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely important. And it's such a pity that I'll miss out on this event. Um, and when we will air this episode, I think it will be two days after the official announcement on the 16th November, if yes, I remember yes. correctly. But, yes, exactly, uh, exactly. Really great that this project now can be uh, is, can be celebrated uh, as, as, as concluded. Can you share a little bit about uh, all the work that has happened for the ethically aligned design standard and certification? I believe it was over 700 people from all over the world mm -hmm. involved. So what were the motivations behind it? What is the goal that uh, this ethically aligned design standard and certification set out to achieve? Mm. Sure, sure. So, um, as I mentioned, this was also one of the reasons I joined IEEE. So, it started uh, quite a long time ago, I would say now almost five to six years. So, I think we were one of the first uh, to start uh, with, with this journey from the realization, so the technical community, uh, that we have a responsibility. So, uh, as I said, uh, technology is not neutral. We have a uh, responsibility, and especially in this field of, well, AI, we actually don't use the term, and we don't like the term artificial intelligence because uh, it is uh, actually misleading, in my view. Uh, it is uh, as if the technology would appear you know, from nowhere and uh, we have to deal with its consequences but actually it is a technology that we are building and it's yeah. our responsibility of how we are building it so um, when, whether we call it artificial intelligence or autonomous systems or so what uh, is your preferred term uh, well uh, we are using actually autonomous systems uh, also autonomous intelligence systems it's important that it is systems it is something that is actually built uh, and um, 
Well, for, for this, uh, as I said, journey, uh, we started uh, something which I think is very important, namely to bring the technical community together with philosophers, with, uh, with um, people from the medical field, with uh, policymakers, and uh, start building up this dialogue and see what are the challenges that we are facing, and also what are the possible solutions, uh, some of the solutions which uh, address us, the technical community, so how we are developing the systems, but then also a lot of solutions or recommendations which go to the uh, policy makers and decision makers. And uh, as part of this journey, then we have um, well, uh, a, a report which is now already in the fourth uh, iteration, which covers different aspects from classical ethics. Uh, mm -hmm. So how, uh, how do you take uh, different uh, moral philosophies into account, but also um, other important also to take this globally into account and uh, maybe not just focus on Western philosophies, but also uh, Eastern and, and global philosophies, including Ubuntu and, and Shinto and so on, uh, which brings also completely new uh, ideas to the table mm -hmm. and to see how to, to translate them into system design. Yeah. Two, two uh, specific um, applications uh, such as justice or, you know, when we're looking into effective computing and so on. Yeah. And then uh, very concretely, then uh, one beside the report, we are looking into different um, different uh, specific subcommittees, if you want, so specifically for finance, specifically for business uh, maturity models when it looks, when we are looking to AI ethics. Um, which can range, you know, uh, we, are, we are aware of certain ethical problems, yeah. but we don't do anything until it becomes part of the uh, business strategy, which is desirable. Uh, and then, of course, uh, ranging to standards. So uh, we develop now a range of so-called socio-technical standards uh, from um, value-based design, to uh, transparency, to um, ontologies for robotics, uh, to the certification that we just discussed. Before. Maybe for clarification, what's the difference between a socio-technical standard and a pure technical standard? Mm, sure. Um, well, let's say standardization organizations, just like IEEE, but of course also the others uh, that you are know, Etsy and ISO and so on, mm -hmm. um, we were traditionally uh, focusing on, on technical matters. So, for instance, our best-known standard is the Wi-Fi standard. Uh, it is what would we do without it? Exactly, that we are using right now. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, there are a lot of technical uh, things uh, that uh, need to be taken into account, uh, that the technology works uh, the same way uh, now in Austria or everywhere in the world. Uh, and we develop it with a community of 10,000 uh, technical uh, experts. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, that is, of course, a completely different way when we're talking about ethics. Of course, ethics is, uh, is something which is uh, concerning the whole, the rest of the society, and we we have to bridge then this uh, this this. Um, uh, also different understandings, let's say, even different concepts. We developed even a glossary <laughs> as oh. part of the, at the ethically aligned design to, uh, to bring these different communities on to understand on the same level of understanding on a specific matter. And uh, that's why we call it social technical standards, because it encompasses, of course, a lot of uh, things which uh, are related to values, moral philosophies, but then uh, also system design. So and we, we have to bring them all together in order to have then something which can be used in a practical matter, manner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one question I have for you is that, especially when I talk with opponents of standards, uh, they oftentimes claim that AI is such a rapidly evolving technology and that you can't really effectively standardize it or it would slow down innovation. What would be your answer to people with this opinion? Well, um, I think, um, first of all, um, the question is always uh, to what degree can we really go on with this very quick <laughs> development? So I, I would I would question this as well. Even in AI, uh, there are now more and more 
opponents, well, let's say so, of, of this very rapid development without really taking into account the impact, uh, you know, uh, really using, if you want, so the, the, the users as beta testers uh, is, is more and more contested. Uh, so I think when we are talking about ethics and responsibility, it will be increasingly important to uh, to involve uh, the people into the design in a participatory manner, and this will require, of course, some some time and uh, yeah. some additional effort. Uh, but uh, I'm convinced, and our proof of concepts also uh, show that that in the end you will have a better product, a product which is better mm -hmm. accepted, and we, which you will not um, spend a lot of time and, and energy on to redesign it if possible, uh, it, because very often this is not even possible in a, at a later stage. Yeah. So this would be my first answer. And the other is, of course, that standards uh, have to be and standardization has to be adapted uh, of course to this rapidly changing environment which is of course uh, the case and this is happening uh, through different uh, ways i mean with ieee i think that what is quite unique is that you can start a standardization process very quickly because you don't need any national representation basically you can start a standardization as uh, five individuals that you mm -hmm. think you're, it's important and uh, we will scale it up to a global level uh, so uh, you know a lot of this pre-standardization activities can be uh, can be resolved quite quickly and then of course when it comes to the standardization itself uh, that also has to be more adaptive uh, now for instance the certification uh, that we developed is uh, something which is, uh, you know, we have this criteria catalog which is horizontal for the moment and takes into account uh, three aspects, accountability, transparency, and algorithmic bias, but it can be then uh, very quickly uh, adapted to a specific use case. Uh, so, for instance, we made a, a use case on the contact tracing applications which could be uh, developed in two months. So this is something which, so there are new ways of, of how to agree, cons uh, to achieve consensus, because basically it's about consensus, on how to achieve consensus more quickly and uh, how to adapt it to a specific context. Yeah, makes sense. You mentioned uh, how important it is to involve the stakeholders that will be impacted. And this, of course, on the one hand takes time, but on the other hand also improves the product or whatever is developed. Uh, you shared two very nice stories with me in an earlier conversation. Can you tell them again for, for our listeners? Well, yes, I think one uh, which I really like is, uh, is the one uh, proof of concept uh, that was done with uh, UNICEF uh, in Africa. It was, uh, the initial idea was to develop a tool to uh, devise something which is called a talent score uh, for uh, local people so that this talent score can be used uh, to match them with potential uh, employers. The initial idea was to do this uh, talent score based on their uh, mobile phone usage, so uh, a quite common uh, business model uh, that we know, which is also completely transparent and which doesn't give a lot of agency to the people. So when um, after using the model P7000 standard at that time, which is now a standard, what happened is that uh, we came up with a completely different system design and uh, the system design resulted basically that the young people can engage in different activities for which uh, they earn, uh, let's say, different scores and that they uh, decide how they can use in order to engage with others on the community or with, uh, with employers. So it, it resulted, they, this gives them agency, of course, and also allows for uh, participation and collaboration locally, which was important for yeah, sure. the stakeholders. So that, I think, is a really interesting uh, way to show how, um, you know, by taking into account stakeholder needs and values, you can actually achieve a much better product or service. And uh, there was also another, let's say, um, survey uh, when you are looking into AI-based tools. Again, it was just proof of concept, and we asked uh, investors uh, if they would invest in these tools. Uh, then there was a certain percentage uh, that said no before having an ethical analysis. Mm -hmm. After there was an ethical analysis, a lot of things came, of course, up on 
privacy and so on. And uh, then uh, investors were suddenly, of course, less uh, likely to invest in this AI-based uh, toys. After system design, using the standard which takes into account, as I said, these values, again, the investors uh, were uh, much likely to, to invest and, and, to, and users also to buy the tool. So I think these two examples show quite clearly that by taking this time and effort at the beginning, you will end up uh, really on the long run, uh, also from an economic point of view, in a, in a situation which, uh, in which you will have a better uh, value proposition and which, of course, uh, is then uh, more beneficial for your sustainable business. Absolutely. That's definitely a very nice example. Just out of curiosity, when the survey was done, did you also collect data on why VCs or investors changed their opinion? Was it because the low risk of having a public scandal that something goes wrong with this product? Or did you specific, get any specifics on, on what drove them to revise their decision? Yeah, so I think for this uh, one, uh, we would have to look into the into the University of Vienna. Basically, they uh, Sarah Spiekermann, who is the co-chair of IEEE 7000 now, uh, she was in charge uh, for this project. So I would refer to to her team there. But I can say, uh, you know, from my um, experience that, uh, and also talking to investors, they are really interested in these um, sustainability and ethical aspects because. Uh, well, first of all, it is really also about money. <laughs> yeah. is, uh, if you are looking now into uh, a lot of services that are appearing in the press, uh, which uh, have to um, change their name, <laughs> uh, they have to uh, completely redesign uh, their PR and so on. There is, of course, this risk. Uh, they have to think about risks and uh, ethical risks uh, are becoming more and more important. So uh, it is really, a, first of all, I think, a risk based mentality that investors have to have. And they also have to take into account then uh, these new categories of risk. And then, of course, it's, it's also about the sustainable uh, aspect. So if you are looking to have a product and service that is going to, to last for, for a longer period of time, and also invest, uh, people who are investing their money, they are interested to invest more and more in these products. So you know they are funds, their uh, ESG reporting, and so on, uh, which take into account already these environmental, social, and gover governance aspects. So uh, investors are more and more involved in this. And we will have also for a workshop next week, actually, the investors talking about this importance. So if you can make it, uh, <laughs> please come. But definitely. So I think this is, uh, this is the future. We need to look into that. And it's going to be also uh, now, from the regulatory point of view, it can happen that if you invest in a product that later on will be, uh, you know, it will not get the certification that you will not yeah. have the product anymore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a risk. Talking about risks, uh, one other thing that, that came to my mind when you shared about the, the certification uh, that's part of ethically aligned design. Just a few weeks ago in Singapore, there have been some discussions about regulating uh, AI and also certifying uh, ethical and, and responsible use aspects of artificial intelligence. And initially, it was uh, part of the discussion of the high-level expert group there. And initially, some suggestions were made that the government should issue these certifications. But then a point was raised that, of course, in the beginning, where everything is so rapidly evolving, so new, you potentially don't know if you have taken everything into account or not. There is a risk that something could go wrong and that something that got a cert or a system that got a certification still would, for example, discriminate against certain groups of, of people or something like that. So then they opted more or were more inclined by the idea of uh, letting the industry start with self-certification. And therefore, I would be curious to get on the one hand your take on self-certification, which purpose it could fulfill, what the limitations are, but also how IEEE is planning to deal with this risk of being the institution that independently certifies AI systems for being ethical or not? And what if something that got this certification still then behaves in a way that is not, uh, to put it like that, behaving as intended? Mm -hmm. 
Yes, I think this is an important question, uh, especially when it goes into the direction of uh, certifying services which are adaptive. So they are adapting to the environment, uh, they are learning from um, you know new data, and of course then their behavior or output can change over time. Uh, so I think that, uh, well, first of all, what I would like to uh, clarify is that uh, we would not like to be the only certification body. We have a certification service, but mm -hmm. uh, the idea is really uh, to be the authority who is in charge of developing the criteria, just that oh, like okay. we are doing the standards. So uh, basically convening the stakeholders uh, to mm -hmm. agree on what will be necessary in the future. So uh, that will be, of course, evolving depending on the use cases. So coming to this, um, this aspect of, uh, you know, how long can a certification uh, be valid, this is also uh, something that is discussed in the uh, European Union proposal right now and also about the rate of certification if there is a substantial change of the product and service and what does this, uh, this substantial change mean. <clears throat> I think that, uh, again, it will depend on the risk and, and um, of the impact uh, of this and also the change of the service that we are talking about. I think that Everybody will agree that if we are using AI services for uh, controlling uh, an energy plant or anything like that, that there is a need for certification. Mm -hmm. So the question is uh, really, you know, to what degree are we allowing them, uh, this service to, to change over time? And I think that in analogy, if we are looking to uh, have these services in a in a service uh, which involves, you know, fundamental rights, such as in a justice uh, system, that is also something which everybody agrees that we would like to have more control. In my view, a lot of things, but when we are looking into certification, are actually long term because they are looking into governance aspects that have to be put in place. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of our certification, when it comes to accountability. Uh, is, uh, let's say, the basis of what you have to put in place inside your organization in order to uh, to guarantee the ethical uh, use of the uh, of these systems. For instance, what are you doing when you have false positives? Uh, mm -hmm. What are you doing uh, also in terms of stakeholder involvement? How do you document things? These are quite static things uh, which don't have to do with, let's say, the uh, with, with how the system evolves, but how you're actually dealing with uh, with uh, possible problems that can come up, and then of course when we are looking into this, you know, the the system, for instance, which will be used in a. Uh, autonomous cars, I think that uh, you already have regulation which says, well, you need to have something like a watchdog or you have to have be really freezing an AI system and to be used in a certain way so that it cannot, let's say, move out of the expected boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we will have a lot of things both on the technical side when we're talking about these watchdogs, you know, how do we, are we going to put this in, in place or a continuing certification in the that you know uh, the boundaries are set up and then there's going to be um, you know an automatic verification that it's still there up to uh, when it comes to you know the social uh, aspects and we are looking for manipulation and so on where there's going to be a, maybe a public board a public oversight uh, that is also discussed uh, where these certifications if you want so will be done in on a more broader level uh, in analogy to the um, environmental well, oversight that we are having right now. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, you mentioned AI governance and how important it is to really also keep monitoring and governing your AI systems once they are in production. Can you share with our listeners what some of the most important steps of AI governance are, especially for higher risk use cases? Well, I think that, uh, well, first of all, the most important one is to uh, put in place a certain level of responsibility, who is accountable for which part of the AI system. So, again, coming back to, uh, to the initial discussion point that there is someone who is responsible for AI. This should be start from, you know, from the developer level, but it should not end there. It has to go up, of course, to the, to the board level. Uh, and it has to be part of the discussions there. And I think it is also important to uh, then 
in my view, not to make it just a compliance issue. Ideally, this should be part of the product strategy of the of the board strategy on which direction we would like to um, to have our products and services evolve, and then look also into the beneficial side. Let's say compliance is always seen as something we have to do, but actually it should be something. How can we? embrace, let's say, these aspects that comes from society and from our users and, and make better products, just as I said before. Of course, a lot of it is then once you have these lines in, in place, a lot is about, you know, what are you putting in place uh, to deal with the different problem situations. And also what is essential in my views is um, is to provide the right training, uh, the right instruments. So here again, whether you are taking external standards or internal best practices, it will be absolutely important to, to provide it to, to the developers, to the different <clears throat> entities also cr- across uh, operating units in a bigger organization uh, so that uh, there is a common understanding of what needs to be achieved uh, and and how. And of course, there's going to be, so uh, I know that one of the critic points of standardization is that it is, um, you know, it's against creativity. But I, <laughs> I think that these uh, standards and best practices, that they should uh, be really a help uh, on, yeah. you know, what can be done. And of course, gives also right framework uh, around how it can be done, uh, but it still gives a lot of freedom to the individual developers uh, that specifically uh, on the design decisions when it comes to, uh, for instance, value prioritization. Uh, As we all know, uh, there are different trade-offs that need to be done. And I think that here, again, it's going to be then the product owner and and, uh, the team there with together with the stakeholders say, well, this is what's more important to us, and it's documenting why. So yeah. that it was, again, uh, something which uh, then can be used for, uh, for an audit uh, if it's necessary. So I think uh, that is also important, uh, documentation yeah. and transparency. Yeah, and I think also when it comes to the aspect that you just mentioned, that uh, standards could potentially limit creativity, especially when it comes to ethically aligned design and this broad range of, of groups that were involved in creating the standards, not only the developers, not only the technical people, but also ethicists, philosophers, and so on and so forth. I could imagine that uh, the questions that should be asked in the process of, of developing an ethically uh, behaving system really broaden also the horizon of uh, the more technical folks, since you pointed out that previously ethics and ethical design was not really core of their education that they went through in university. So I could imagine that this also positively impacts uh, creativity and how to create something that's of benefit to, to the users and to society. Yes, so I think uh, here I would again uh, refer to the work done by uh, Sarah Spiekermann from the Economic University of Vienna. So uh, she uh, she did amazing work there and actually did studies uh, which show that by using this value-based design, you're actually coming up with more creativity than using traditional road mapping. Uh, oh, yeah, there was this one example with yes, the, exactly. the system for the elderly, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Please, can so, you share that story? Yes, I think that was really interesting. And um, so uh, the story was to develop uh, a tracking application for elderly people. Uh, well, first of all, for the security, uh, but also um, for them to find more easily, um, you know, uh, the way to certain things that they are looking for, even in a shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, sorry, tracking application to track where they are at the yes, moment, or for yes. them. Yes, where they are, so for their relatives, so that to be sure where they are, but also for them, so that uh, they can use this this uh, service to, you know, that they can put it where I'm looking actually for buying milk and and uh, where, to go. where do I find? So maybe maybe I'm I'm now already um, to the solution that I wanted to share with you. That actually, when uh, the product one, uh, was about to be um, developed, of course, uh, the question was what kind 
kind of you know values need to be taken into account what kind of risk do we have and the first thing uh, the developers thought of was the security as uh, the privacy aspect so of course uh, when it comes to tracking privacy is important uh, mm -hmm. and they they assume that is also important for the elderly people and it's the first important value that comes into their mind well it turned out that what uh, was important for them was uh, support so what they wanted to have is uh, to have something, for instance, a big green button where they can, um, which they can push for help if they are, for instance, in a shop uh, and they don't find the milk that somebody actually comes, a human comes and helps them to find that uh, product and services. So this is, was, was one of the examples which showed that, you know, uh, if you are consulting uh, your users, you're actually more creative and you're uh, integrating some features into your product that you didn't think of before. Okay, so initially it was more of a tracking application to know, uh, for, for the relatives to know where their, all the relatives are, but due to this value-based approach they learned that the people would also really appreciate opportunity for support and then included this support functionality. With exactly, the exactly. That makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely a nice example. So you mentioned that initially uh, they thought about privacy, which of course is, is a very important value, and then that they learned that support is also something that's really priority for, for the consumers and the users of this product. Does this mean that then privacy was not taken care of, or was it just that you rebalanced the values and introduced some features that would not lead to maximum privacy preservation, but allow for both privacy and support? Yes, yeah, so uh, one of these um, these features, and I really uh, encourage you to uh, take a look at uh, 7000 and IEEE 7000 standard, is really about uh, first uh, value elicitation, so looking about what is important, and you will have a lot of values, uh, but then uh, there is a very important second step to see uh, which how to prioritize them. And of course, uh, you're bringing up a very important point, there are certain values you, that you cannot ignore. So so, for instance, privacy will be, of course, always important, and then you have to implement it. The question is to what level. Uh, so yeah. we will always have uh, something which is set up, let's say, by regulation that you need to implement, uh, and and then. Again, uh, the question is if you have something which has a bigger priority, it might be that you will not uh, end up with a product which is very privacy-oriented. You are implementing, let's say, what is uh, necessary from uh, the legal point of view, and then you are uh, focusing, uh, you put the highest priority for what uh, the users are actually expecting from the product. Yeah, yeah makes sense. Uh, since you just highlighted the importance of privacy, of course, this brings me to synthetic data and the work that we are currently engaged in, which is basically launching an IEEE industry connection for synthetic data and then soon hopefully also a standards group to standardize privacy and, and accuracy of synthetic data. Uh, so my question to you, Clara, would be where do you see the role of synthetic data in today's digital economy? Well, um... I think that there is this famous study from Gartner which says that uh, in, in a very short time, 40% of all the training data will be synthetic data. I, I think this is still accurate. I think I think they've been upgraded this. I don't know the exact number now, but it's really a huge percentage of data uh, yes, that Gartner yes. predicts to be synthetic. Exactly. Yeah, so, uh, well, already from this study, we can see that uh, when it comes to data, which is sensitive data, when it comes to a healthcare, um, when it comes to uh, even emotion detection, with that we were talking more and more, if we are using this data at all, we have to have a special uh, care on, on how to use it. And there, even when we are um, having different uh, de-anonymization uh, techniques, uh, as we all know, uh, there is a possibility to still track down uh, certain individuals. So I think that in that respect, uh, synthetic data will be a must. I like very much the analogy when I talked to uh, the city of Vienna. They said uh, the 
the way they they see this uh, the provision of health data to the public space um, would be something analogous to what the city did uh, 100 years ago for the clean water, mm -hmm. uh, where again, due to the growth of the city, they needed to look for an alternative to how to provide this clean water to their citizens. And they went out to the Alps, they bought a big portion of land. And since more than 100 years, they are owning this land and taking care uh, that the, the water which comes from there is clean enough uh, for the citizens. And I think that's the same analogy that now um, when it comes, for instance, uh, to public services and uh, how to provide this clean uh, data, it's something similar. It, 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 has yeah. to, it has to have a high quality, uh, something that startups can build on, which, uh, you know, new public services and new uh, companies can build their business models on. Uh, and which is reliable. So that's why I think that it, it is going to be more and more important. And uh, what is, of course, important there is the quality. And uh, the question is how we, are, how we are going to define what is quality, what is a good quality synthetic data. Uh, and I think it comes again to a consensus between the different stakeholders of what they consider as being as a good quality. And then again, the whole question, how do we achieve this? So I think that uh, here especially, uh, it is important to, to have this um, dialogue in terms of convening the stakeholders and then a very important to have a clear metrics in the end, which can be used in uh, by, by the public as well, and which can be reported. And this can uh, be part of a standard, it can be part of certification, and this is what uh, we are also very happy to start with you, Alexander. Yeah, yeah, very much looking forward to this project, and I really like the analogy that you just made, I didn't uh, hear it before, uh, of supplying clean water now to, in the more digital age, supplying clean, safe, high-quality, privacy-preserving uh, data to to the people of, of the city. So really like that. Maybe on that note, you're also involved with the city of Vienna on their digital humanism project. Can you introduce this to our listeners and uh, give them a little bit of the details what this is about? Yes, so I think that the city of Vienna is really a pioneer in this uh, area. So uh, uh, it uh, recognized, I think, very early on uh, the special responsibility it has when it comes to uh, the impact of, of digital on, on its citizens and in both ways. So I, I like it that it's not only on the risk, but basically on uh, what are the opportunities that this digital age provides us to have something similar to the discovery of the printing press, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. some time ago, which brought a transformation, a social transformation, without which we would not have anything uh, that we, we are considered natural right now. So the question is really how to take these insights, the knowledge uh, that is uh, being generated uh, by AI and also to make it available to, to everyone, basically. So how to integrate it into the education, into the arts, yeah. and how to uh, establish this, this dialogue so that nobody is left behind. And again, to bring something which uh, the humanists brought us um, and uh, again, use it to uh, bring us on a new level as when we talk about uh, humanity. And I think here um, as well, this is now my personal take. Uh, this is particularly important when we're talking about humanists because we have now something like a, I, I would say, a redefinition of what human is uh, because you also um, uh, hinted to the discussion I had on with the Vatican. Yeah. Because we have more and more that technologization of the human with uh, wearables, with uh, with the different technologies that yeah. we are using. So right the lines now. are basically exactly. blurring between technology and Yes, human. exactly. And then we also have the other way around. We have also the humanization of technology with effective computing. Um, so the question is really these lines of uh, what does it mean to be a human also in the digital space? Again, in the metaverses, I can have digital uh, different identities uh, in a different uh, in different uh, spaces, if you want. So, which is very different from what I am. What does it mean in terms of, of rights? Uh, in yeah. terms of um, 
in terms of interactions, in terms of our uh, worldview, I think it's going to be very interesting and it's going to be disruptive, I'm pretty sure. And the question is really how to use this disruption to um, uh, not create new monopolies of uh, power, uh, but to make it uh, equitable so that uh, it is uh, in line with uh, you know our social values and it's also in line with uh, with what we need to uh, have a sustainable development for the environment. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, that with all the amazing work that the IEEE and everybody involved have done on this ethical aligned design standard, I think this will help us to move in the right direction. And I'm also a big believer of data democratization and uh, open data and also increasing data literacy in the broad public to really put us in a society in a level where more people can benefit from data and where we also really break up this power imbalances that we currently see with the big tech companies and, and the rest of society. So I think these are some of the important steps that are currently being taken and need to be taken in the years to come. Absolutely, yes. Yes, I think that uh, it is important that we are working towards this and also raise awareness. Um, I think uh, it's also good to see that we have a lot of international organizations which have taken this up very seriously. So we are working with uh, the OECD, with the UNESCO, um, also with the uh, European Commission, uh, you know, there is the AI Assembly, there is the Council of Europe, who has a very important uh, initiative on AI and how to use it, uh, which is uh, in line with fundamental rights. Uh, so it is really good to see uh, all these initiatives, and I think it is important uh, because uh, uh, we, we need to do this together. <laughs> so, um, 100% agree. Yes. Perfect, perfect. Clara, I think we could continue our conversation for hours, but unfortunately we're approaching the end of our recording. So uh, my second to last question to you would be, what's your advice since you work in such an exciting field for everybody who's looking to work also in this intersection of technology, regulatory developments and ethical AI? I, I would say what is important is to uh, be aware of uh, what is happening, uh, to be also, if there is uh, time, if there are resources, to be part of the conversation. Um, and, uh, you know, on, on a higher level, but definitely uh, when it comes to your business, to your context, you need to, to be part of uh, the discussion which is going on uh, with, uh, with the, the users and with the regulators. We are talking now about regulatory sandboxes and so on. Uh, and I think uh, even for startups, uh, you know, if you're developing a product now and the regulation is going to come in two years, that is going to have a lot of impact uh, on, on your um, on your product, so it For is sure. it is important to um, to to follow these discussions and again, as in my view, uh, to be uh, to participate as much as possible. Uh, and this is also happening. Uh, you know, we have now this regulatory um, international organization level discussions, but it is happening also uh, as part of uh, public partner, public private partnerships. It's happening. Um, as at the Vatican level. Uh, so I think that there are a lot of opportunities. And uh, I think that uh, bringing in your uh, views and also learning from the others is really something uh, that I would recommend to everyone. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, well, Clara, thank you so much for everything you shared today. Uh, do you have any final remarks for our listeners? Anybody, anything that you want to share with them, or maybe also any resources that you can recommend to our listeners if they would like to dive deeper into responsible AI and also ethically aligned design? Well, uh, I would uh, really recommend if you, you know, start. Uh, in this matter on ethically aligned design and what are really the question marks, what are the points there, I would uh, really recommend that you are looking into our report um, on ethically aligned design uh, first edition. You can Google it, you can download it, uh, and then you will uh, find you know all these, these issues and possible recommendations. Uh, all our uh, standards and standards initiatives are also on our webpage. Uh, so again, you have to look in IEEE. 
Standard Association and Autonomous Intelligent Systems. And then, of course, uh, beyond that, I would I would really look into um, you know the AI regulation or the proposal that is uh, there. And also now, I think the really exciting. Uh, Work that is being done by by the UNESCO because uh, you know they are talking also even of a moratorium uh, for certain applications and and it's really something which is global there. Yeah, um, yeah. But the for the OECD, uh, you know, what are the principles at least? So uh, that is important uh, for everyone. So I would uh, really recommend to look into that. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, Clara, for taking the time. As always, it was a true pleasure having this. Thank you, Alexander. Thank you for the invitation. The pleasure was on my side. Thank you, Clara. You see, I didn't promise too much. Clara and I covered a lot of ground today. Let's sum up the key takeaways. First, as any other technology, AI is not neutral, but tends to reflect business values. Therefore, Clara sees it as one of the main challenges of AI that the technologists correctly assess the impact it will have, particularly because this is something they were not trained to do. Plus, it's not only about the impact AI can have on individuals, but also on society at large. One example of this is the impact AI can have on children, which really soak up their environment. Clara highlighted that age-appropriate design of technology is a topic that needs to be specifically addressed. She shared that there are already some positive initiatives ongoing, like, for example, that UK passed a bill on age-appropriate design. When we talked about regulations, Clara thinks that the European AI Act is moving us in the right direction. Plus, she finds it remarkable that it redefined risk because traditionally the focus of technology risk mitigation lied on safety and security. But in the AI Act, also fundamental rights are included and certain use cases are even explicitly prohibited. But while regulation is necessary, it's not sufficient. So Clara mentioned that even AI principles are not enough and that we really need standards and certifications because different principles, like, for example, transparency, can mean many different things, depending on whom you ask and also on the context. As a rule of thumb, you can think of certifications as how do we want the product to look like? and standards as the recipe or the aid for developers on how to actually achieve this goal. Next, Clara shared that she doesn't like the term artificial intelligence. It's misleading and creates the notion that AI just appears out of nowhere and that we have to deal with the consequences, whether we like it or not. But in fact, and she was really strong on this, it's technology we are building and it's our responsibility how we are building it. Therefore, her preferred ter term is autonomous intelligent systems, because systems, as opposed to intelligence, indicates that it's actually something that is built. But to achieve this, we have to work together. Society has to say where the red lines are, but it's important to not only set up the requirements, but also define how to achieve this. And this is what the ethically aligned design standard set out to do. So next up, we talked about the IEEE 7000 on ethically aligned design. Clara shared that IEEE realized early on that we have this responsibility to make AI and technological systems ethical. So they were one of the first to start with this journey by bringing together a community of technologists, philosophers, policymakers, medical professionals, and various other domain experts to identify the challenges, but also to come up with solutions on how to approach these problems. And the result is what we find in the ethically aligned design standard and certification, but also the various reports and substandards that were issued by this group. One very important key takeaway of ethically aligned design is that you should involve the users right from the start. Not only will this help you to achieve an ethical system, but also result in better products that better cater to the needs and better respect the values of your users. On the opposite side, 
not doing it and having to redesign a system afterwards would not only be costly, but sometimes it's even impossible. So if you take away one aspect, then involve the users and ask about their values right at the beginning of your AI projects. Next, another aspect I really found memorable from this conversation was the research that Clara mentioned, where they found that investors and VCs are much more likely to invest in a product that was developed ethically because they are not willing to put up with the ethical and regulatory risks of non-ethically developed systems. Next takeaway. One critique point that's oftentimes raised when it comes to AI certifications is that AI is too fast moving and changes too quickly for certifications to work efficiently and effectively. But Clara dismissed this and pointed out that the certification that is part of the ethically aligned design, in fact, is something that can be valid for a longer period of time because it looks into foundational governance processes that have to be put in place regardless of an AI system updating itself or not. Of course, recertification will be necessary at some point in time, but how soon depends on the risk profile of the specific use case. Another point and another key takeaway is that critiques of standards oftentimes raise the point that standards are against creativity. But the example that Clara shared on the monitoring and support system for elderly citizens showed that this is not the case. The ethically aligned design standard gives a framework, but developers and product owners still have lots of freedom on which values to prioritize, and the framework might even get them to think out of the box and by interacting with the end users, get them to build a product that's even more user-friendly and valuable. When we talked about AI monitoring and governance, Clara highlighted that accountability is the most important aspect and having clearly defined responsibilities for each part of the AI system. Then, of course, it's also about having processes in place on how to deal with specific problem situations once they arise. Lastly, training is crucially important and providing the right instruments to developers on how to actually achieve what's required, like internal best practices or external standards. Next up, we touched upon synthetic data, which according to Clara will be a must in our digital economy, specifically to deal with sensitive data and to share healthcare data. And also due to the pitfalls of legacy anonymization techniques, it's something that's needed. I also really liked the clean water analogy of the city of Vienna, which 100 years ago saw an increasing need for clean water and by securing some fountains in the Alps, found a way to provide it to its citizens. Now, it's about providing clean, high quality and safe data to citizens to facilitate research and also innovation by startups, but also to have reliable data new public services can be built on and the privacy safe option to achieve this is synthetic data. Lastly, we spoke about the Digital Humanism Project from the city of Vienna, who set out to shape the social transformation that's currently ongoing in a way that nobody's left behind. It's about establishing a dialogue between a diverse set of stakeholders and about ensuring that technology is used for the benefits of everyone which in general is a notion that's taken very seriously by various international organizations as well, like the OSCD, UNICEF, the European Commission, or the Council of Europe, who are all creating awareness. And Clara was clear that this undertaking is something we all need to do together. And thus her call to action for you was to be part of the conversation and to find ways to participate as much as possible. As always, thank you very much for listening. I hope you found this episode as insightful as I did. And if you have 20 seconds and could follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whichever platform you listen to, we would highly appreciate it. As always, if you have any questions or comments, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Just shoot us an email at podcast at mostly.ai. Until then, see you next time.